Blog Talk Radio. Soulvox Radio presents Evolve with your host, Robin White Turtle Disney. Hi, this is Robin White Turtle Disney. The show is Evolve, and I have a special guest today, Scout Bartlett. He was born clairsentient and has honed his mystical gifts to a level of exceptional clarity. Thousands of his clients have uh, uh, found his life insights to be powerful and deep, opening the way to new understanding, release of stuck energy, and removal of spiritual blockages and early life trauma. Uh, his work is a transformational experience. So welcome, Scout. I'm so glad to have you on my show. Hi, Robin. Thanks so much, and thanks for inviting me here on to Evolve. Yeah. Glad to treat. have you. Yeah, so I, I wanted to start with how you got to do this mediumistic work that you're doing. <laughs> how, did you, how did you start all this? How the heck did that happen? Yeah. It's, it's odd when I, well, it's funny the way life works is that if I look backward, I can sort of see everything lines up from point A to point B. But certainly when I was living it, it didn't look like that. I, uh, I did most of my growing up in Kansas, in the, uh, just outside Kansas City on the Kansas side. Um, oh, you're from Kansas. <laughs> dead center Midwestern. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, my dad was an engineer for his entire career, all of them. Uh, and I, I and my brother were both raised to be engineers. My brother did practice as an engineer for his career, uh, and that's been his career. And... Uh, I have an engineering degree from Washington U. St. Louis, uh, but I've, I've strayed ever so slightly. Although, as one friend of mine pointed out, I went from an electrical engineering computer science focus study of flows of energy into a completely different study of flows of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, along the way, there was always this little side stuff that there were there were a number of experiences in high school that that sort of my assumption, of course, is that every kid in high school, you know, wants superpowers and that the, and every kid in high school wants to explore that psychic-y stuff. I don't know that that's true, but my thought is that every kid wants to be that or at least some kind of superhero power. Uh, and And so along the way, I didn't give a lot of credence to the fact that I was having a fair number of beyond normal perceptual experiences. Uh, one in particular I remember, and the reason it marked in my memory was that, um, uh, how do I shorten this story? I really can't. Short version is I had a summer job in a factory on an assembly line in 100-degree weather, uh, <laughs> everybody's dream job to encourage them to go to college. Right. <laughs> and uh, and so uh, I was one of the very few school-age, you know, summer job people that had been hired in, and one of the others happened to be a young woman who was in college. Um, it was an assembly line. We were absolutely 100% encouraged to not talk to each other because we were there to do the assembly line work, and they had just hired some new brilliant genius about efficiency who was making everybody's life miserable. Um, but that young lady and I bumped into each other at the, the, the town swimming pool, random chance in the world of randomness, 
um, and got into a long conversation. And in that conversation, I found out that she'd been that she was a university student. She'd been engaged in college to a young man her parents didn't approve of. He had gotten what's now referred to as a life-threatening or dire medical diagnosis, uh, which at that time told him he had like six weeks to live, and this was now six or eight months later. Uh, but he'd broken off their engagement. She'd not gotten a lot of support from her family about that. Um, and then all of that together, and then several days later, I woke out of a dead sleep, which as a teenager I never did, and I knew for certain that John had crossed over, which was also weird because I'm not good at – I wasn't, and I'm still not particularly good at names, so the fact I remembered the fiancé's name was interesting – but I knew for certain that he had crossed over. Now, could I, on a scientific examination, determine whether I knew he died when he died or whether I knew he died when she found out? I don't know. My suspicion is that I found out when she found out. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'd woken up in the middle of the night. I knew that had happened. And uh, in the morning, because we had not exchanged phone numbers, this is in the days pre-cell phone, we had not exchanged phone numbers. So in the morning, I wrote down my name, so she'd have my whole name and my phone number, on a piece of paper and put it in my pocket to be able to hand it off to her in passing on the assembly line, uh, my brain thinking, of course, she'd be at work. Uh, and as it turned out, she did show up at work and looked a little late and looking really haggard, which did give me more courage to go ahead and hand off my note. Uh -huh. um, but all I said to her when I gave it to her was, if you need somebody to talk to, call me, and gave her the note and walked on because we were not allowed to talk to each other at work. And that evening she did call, and we got together, and I did find out that, yes, indeed, John had crossed over at some early hour, and she'd found out about it at some early hour in the middle of the night. I had not had the prescience to write down the time. Um, I don't know that she knew the time either, but it was clear, and the piece that I found most interesting was the thought in my mind was not, wow, look at that, this worked. The thought in my mind was, there. Now, there was no other way I could have known that. Mm -hmm. And the memory of that clear thought has always stayed with me as being, aha, clearly I was having a lot of intuitive hits that I was busily explaining away of I must have known that from a book or I must have overheard it in a conversation I didn't remember or, or all of those dances we go through to deny our intuition right. um, that, that from my brain to immediately say there, now there was no other way I could have known that. Um, was a really solid marker. Now, I was lucky enough that when I was in university, even though I was in the engineering school, somebody in the psych department had to run a, a – their assignment was to run an experiment so that they could evaluate statistics on it. And they put up announcements that they were running an experiment to, to see if they could experimentally discover if intuition did or didn't exist. Mm. <laughs> and so I signed up. As did a gaggle of other people. I have no idea how many, but there were about 30 in the room I was in, and I think there were four or five rooms. So there was over 100 people. Uh, and they ran it solidly double-blind in that uh, the person that was in the room was not allowed to know any of the details. The person that was administering it would, did not know any details beyond what they told us and so forth. Uh, although there was one slight leak in their double-blind because at one point he did say, and and there's a person here, I was in St. Louis, and there's a person here in St. Louis who's reputed to be psychic. So there was a little bit of a tone. Uh. But, you know, I didn't care. I don't think anybody else in the experiment cared. And what they did was they played a recording that would take us into a deep relaxation, and our job was to see if we could mentally see a photograph that this person who was reputed to be psychic was looking at. Uh. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they took us into this deep, and, and he left the room, so he never even heard the, the guided relaxation or medita- the guided relaxation exercise. He just knew that, that it, it would play, and we'd be told to look for the picture, and then, and then, you know, it would bring us back out again. And so when it brought us back out, they handed out a piece of paper and had us write down notes of what we'd seen. And I wrote, and actually in the guided relaxation, it, it had us see something, clear the board, see again. And I got two very divergently different pictures. Um, and so I, I wrote them down and I described them. And one of them had such obvious geometry in it that I even sketched it there on the notes, even though there wasn't a place for a sketch. I was an engineer. You fill out the notes however you can. Yeah. And then what they did, without having tell us they were, without having told us they were going to, he brought out six big manila envelopes and handed them to one of the people in the group. We're all college kids. We're sitting around on the floor. Uh, he handed them to one of the kids in the group and said, here, after I leave the room, because I am not allowed to see these, uh, take them out one at a time, lay them out on the floor where everybody can see them. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, it was very entertaining because I distinctly remember they brought out the first picture, and my mind, friend of me that it is, says, oh, see, that doesn't look anything like what you saw. You got it wrong. Uh-huh. Now, I was an engineer. I could count to six. I, I knew the percentage of pictures I'd seen so far, but my mind was already, you got it wrong. It didn't work. You can't do this. Right. And they brought out the second picture, and my mind says, see, nothing at all like what you saw. And they brought out a third picture, and my mind said, oh, well, you saw a white antebellum mansion, and this is a white Pegasus against a black background. Maybe that's as close as you got. Mm-hmm. And then they brought out the fourth picture, and it was only my training as a scientist that kept me from screwing up their experiment because my entire body went electric when I fully recognized the picture. It was exactly the geometry I had sketched, although I had misunderstood some details, but it was exactly the geometry I had sketched. And I'm you know, trying to subtly look around the room to see if everybody isn't obviously recognizing that that is the picture. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, and then as it turned out, later they you know, they said, we'll post the actual target picture. My picture was number four. We'll post your group, whatever group I was, and the target picture. And sure enough, the target was picture number four. The person running the experiment basically said, well, I had you write, they had us write down what we thought was the picture from one to six. Um, I being not necessarily totally conformist to a form, I wrote down that picture as number one and circled it a half a dozen times and then wrote down number two as the Pegasus and three and four and five and six, whatever other crud, Uh, because I knew that that was the picture. But the person running the experiment basically just said, well, it was a 50-50 chance that, that, that people would have the target picture in their top three, and they just did their stats from there, which I think was terrible stats, but I was an engineer. Um, and, and in their statistics, 51% had the picture in the top three and 49 didn't. And even at the time, I desperately wished I could have seen their notes to contact everybody in that top half. Yeah. And now I know better. Now I would also have contact everyone that, that put the target picture as absolute last, so they saw it as not the picture. And I would have loved to re- rerun the experiment with a filtered group, but not my option. Yeah. But for me, that was a place where, as a scientist-raised person, I got to see myself as having done a full double-blind experiment and demonstrated that, yep, whatever that intuitive stuff is, I have some. Yeah, yeah, wow. From there, it became interesting. I landed a job that put me in San Francisco, coincidentally, which was exactly where I wanted to go. And somehow in their training program, they ended up landing me there, which included somebody needing to resign from a job at just the right moment on the day that I needed them to, so that I ended up landing that gig in San Francisco. 
Uh, and I met my very first teacher, because in Kansas, I didn't know that this was a thing, much less that this was a thing that people taught, metaphysics and science and psychicness. Yeah. The, the closest I'd ever come was a bubblegum wrapper that, that offered a book of novelty, that offered a catalog of novelty items that included a book about psychicness. That was the closest <laughs> I'd ever come was a bubblegum wrapper. Uh, and I met my first teacher, Betty Bethards. Um, I still think her book, There Is No Death, and her book, Dreams, are two of the better books on the topics anywhere. Mm. Um, she's since crossed over. I miss her a lot. But that was my very first teacher, and I began meditating. And as I did that, I also studied with a man named Paul Larson, uh, who was completely about consciousness, not about psychic development, but about awareness and consciousness, clearing out the background chatter. Yeah. And as I did my meditations and cleared out the background chatter, I found out that I didn't have to find out how to be psychic. I just had to get the chatter out of the way so that I could hear it. Right. Right. The, the path from there got even more convoluted until it ended up being that, that I didn't have time to have a job anymore. I only had time to be pursuing my hobby, which was giving, well, just exactly as the business is named, Life Insights. And as my website is named, frequently hearing people look at me saying, God, if I'd known this, so the website is if I'd known then. Right, right, right. Well, that's fascinating. So you, you came from Kansas here, and then you started studying. And it, it's pretty much my path, which is really interesting, because I was in Michigan and Illinois, and uh, born in Illinois and, in Michigan, and then lived in Michigan for many years, and was sent out here, kind of sent out here, and my path was to go to grad school, and then I was in massage, doing massage. So I, I went through the massage world. But um, uh, so so I, I also ended up out here trying to, you know, like find out who this one is and discovered all of the clairvoyance as I went along. So, yep. so I think it's part of my journey, I know, has been to kind of just, that I was a medium and psychic, and that was my life's work. And it sounds like that's pretty much what you have also had in your yeah. experience. Yeah, yeah. I, I looked at it as my hobby took over my life. Yeah. <laughs> and until it it has totally taken over my life. There's there's places that uh, because because my work depends on my intuition, and because my intuition is at least to a degree dependent on what kind of shape I'm in. Obviously, if I was a heavy drinker, I wouldn't be able to work as clearly on a hangover as I can work with a clear mind. Uh, it, yeah. it, it's funny. Some days I almost feel like I'm, I'm almost like an athlete in that I have to pay attention to what I eat, I have to pay attention to how I sleep, and I have to pay attention to how often I put anything in my body that would that would shift my physical state. Right, right. I, sort of I fun, but but God, I, the weirdest part of my gig now is I can wake up in the morning and, and I can tell people, and sorry about this, this is a horrible thing to say to people, it's very discouraging, but the truth is people will say, do what you love and you never work a day in your life. Um, yeah. I do do what I love, and it rarely feels like work when I'm doing it, but that doesn't change the part of my brain that says, I don't want to get up and go to work this morning. I don't want to have to go be working. <laughs> once I'm working, but the weird part is, is then one, I, I can be in a miserable mood. But once I'm working, I, I do a thing that I can only label as I go into state. Now, okay. when I'm working, I'm still fully conscious. I'm still pretty much me. But I've changed my, I'm sure that if we hooked me up to the, to the electronics, we would discover that I've changed my thought placement and my consciousness placement into a mildly altered state when I'm working. 
Right, right, and right. and uh, and so from that, I'm in an altered state of consciousness, and and it's got a lot of interesting aspects. This is kind of fun to share for people that haven't had the experience. Um, I've worked with uh, I don't know I lost track at fifteen thousand different clients, and that was a bunch of years ago. So some number significantly more than fifteen thousand different people, like probably closer to fifty or more, um, and. Uh, Many of them I work with on the phone, so I've never seen them, but many of them I work with in person. Uh, and there are the cases where if I've only ever seen them when I was working with them, if I run into, into them on the street, I may not recognize them. Right. But if we start talking, I don't really remember anything we talked about when we were in session, as I call it. However, mm-hmm. if they walk in or if, I, if we're on a call or if we're back in person and we're working in session – as soon as I reconnect to them and we're in session, pretty much everything we've talked about comes back in my memory. So it's clearly stored in a very different place. Um, I, I've literally had the experience with people who were friends and clients where uh, in the middle of conversation while we were playing cards, they made some reference to something and I had no idea what they were talking about. Right. And they looked at me like, are you insane? So I finally thought to say, did, did we talk about this in session? Yes, day before yesterday for 45 minutes. Hang on. And I kind of shifted gears in my mind to go look where session memory was. And then all of a sudden, everything they'd said made sense. But in regular conversation, I literally had no point of reference as to what they were talking about. Right. I I do a similar thing. I kind of don't remember people until I start talking to them. And then all of a sudden, all that information from previous sessions just flowed in. Yep. And, and yep. then I could, you know, remember their kids' names and the, and the, you know, the, what their husband was doing. And, you know, I, I get all the images that I got from the past, from the previous session. So, yeah, yeah I totally understand how that works. <laughs> Well, we're going to have a great conversation about mediums and and what we do as mediums. We kind of started that conversation, but I want to take a little bit of a break, and we'll come back. I'm talking to Scout Bartlett, who is a clairvoyant and a mystic, and he has a real gift of clarity uh, for thousands of clients that he uh, works with with his life insights. And it helps open ways uh, to new understanding, releases stuck energy, and removes spiritual blockages and early life trauma. So we'll be right back. And this is Robin White Turtle Listening, and the show is Evolve. Evolve, nurturing the new in consciousness, the arts, and culture, with your host, Robin White Turtle Listening. Evolve brings you people and ideas on the cutting edge of change, opening the shells of the past to move our culture into the now. We are all in great need of sustainable ideas for change. Evolve brings you the wise, the foolish, and the heart-based to help us meet the challenges of our times. Join us the third Thursday of the month at 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Evolve. Hi, this is Robin White Turtle Listening. I wanted to share with you some of the other things that I'm doing in the world beside this radio show. The first is I have a private practice in Capitola, California that reaches around the world, and you can uh, connect with me through my websites, thecenterforthesoul.com and bluebonebooks.com. 
I'm also uh, an author, and I have seven books. The first was Dancing Up the Moon, the second Sacred Living, both by Canary Press in Berkeley. And then I had Heart Path, Heart Path Handbook, a CD on Heart Path, uh, as well as um, two poetry books, Mosaic, which is the latest poetry book, and Poems for the Lost Year. I also have another book that just came out called Ceremonies from the Heart for Children, Adults, and the Earth. And all of these are on my website, www.bluebonebooks.com. So now we'll go back to the show. Hi, we're back. This is Robin Whitechurch Alisney. The show is Evolved. And I'm with the Scout Bartlett, who is clairvoyant and mystic and helps his clients through life insights. So welcome back, Scout. <laughs> great. Thanks, Robin. It's great to be here on Evolve. I love it. Uh, because we were just talking about my experiences when I'm working with people psychically, let me quickly mention that uh, the first Thursday in February, which is February 7th, if I'm looking at my calendar right, uh, I'll be presenting an evening at East West Bookshop in downtown Mountain View, California, uh, that is literally, what's it like being psychic? So we'll have a full couple hours to chat about that. Um, and and I've actually priced it to make sure that it's really accessible. So you can just go to eastwestbooks.org, plug Scout into the search function, not Scott, but Scout, and you'll find that workshop and everything else that I'm doing there. Yeah, great, great. Yeah, so uh, let's talk about that. <laughs> let's talk about what it is to be a medium. <laughs> How do you... How do you do that? What's going on? What's it like over there? <laughs> there we go. Um, the the it, two of us are both mediums, so this could be a really fun conversation because uh, I certainly have insights, but I know you do too, and I'm always curious as to how other people perceive their experiences. So how did how did you talk about that a little bit? Um in a weird way, let me just sort of roll into this, because it, it started out, no, as I did my meditation practices with Betty Bethards, and as I studied with Paul Larson and, and opened my own awareness and clarity and developed an, an awareness, uh, a dear friend of mine bought me a set of tarot cards and uh, called Morgan's Tarot, not Morgan Greer, Morgan's Tarot, lovely, fun cards. And I started working with those just for the fun of it until it got to where people started asking me, like I would take them to, you know, I would take them to parties because... I was kind of shy and didn't know how to flirt very well and didn't play guitar, so it was the next best thing. Although any of y'all that are pondering that, I'll tell you, reading tarot cards for girls at parties is the worst pickup approach ever. It doesn't work well, <laughs> in case y'all were pondering that. Um, it just lots of reasons, another story, another time. But along the way, I started doing psychic fairs, and, and after a very short period of time, it got to the point where the cards gave me the information slower than I could pick it up on my own. So yeah. I quit carrying the cards around because I would, for a short period of time, I would have people shuffle and cut the deck and do the things one does when one's having a tarot reading. Uh, and then they'd hand me the cards, and I would go to do what I thought was make a couple of quick comments before we started turning cards over. And the next thing I know, it's a half an hour or an hour later, and I've done the full and complete reading. And I ask the client, did you have any questions? And their question would be, um, well, uh, what were you going to do with those cards? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, here. And I would flip through the cards really quick and show them that the cards showed the exact same reading I'd just done, and away we'd go. So I figured they were a distraction, and I quit carrying them around. <laughs> 
and, but we're still doing psychic fairs. And yeah. so I was at one psychic fair in a mall, so elegant surroundings, and we were in an unused store in a mall, so highly elegant surroundings. And I'm sitting at my little card table with probably, I don't know, 15 or 20 other psychics in the room. And the way that it went was people came in and then they could sort of wander around and look at people's literature and signage. And if they wanted to have a reading, all of the schedules were up at the front desk and they would buy themselves a reading and get a ticket. And, you know, when it was their turn, they show up at your table, in my case, my table with my little psychic accoutrement. So people might pick me uh, and they hand over their tickets for their appointment and away we go. And so I'm sitting at this table in this unused storefront in a mall um, doing normal readings, love, life, relationships, whatever, and money, finances, understanding my boss, understanding my partner, seeing into my siblings, figuring out why my children are nuts, those simple things that <laughs> that we do. Uh, mm-hmm. And this woman sat down and said, okay, it's apparently you. I said, great. Um, and she said, because I didn't know anything about this. I woke up this morning. I saw it wherever she saw it advertised. My brain said, you have to go. So I came and I've walked around the room three times. And every time I walk around the room, it's you that lights up. So apparently it's you. Okay. (laughs) And she went on to tell me that her son had died and Mm -hmm. she wanted to make contact with him. Now I had not done this sort of thing before, but among other things that one knows when one's working on the intuitive level, one, there is no time and space on the intuitive level. Um, I, I read just as easily for a client on the phone from Sri Lanka as I read for a client sitting in front of me when I'm doing face-to-face readings. Uh, it's just as easy. It's all the same place. doesn't matter. And if I'm talking to my client, I read their partner or their business partner or their boss or their underling or their whatever that they're wanting to understand when I'm explaining another person to them. I read that person just as easily if they're you know, in town as if they're in Timbuktu somewhere. It doesn't matter. Um, and so I kind of like in that wonderful optimism of youth, I figured if she knew I was the one, apparently I was because I had yeah. never done this before. And so I I went using her connection with her son. I went to go find her son and and got sort of jolted a little bit. So I did have to find out from her that um, he had died when he, well, sorry, I don't mean to disrupt anybody, but he had died when he got hit by a train. And when I went to find him, I had to look back at her and there was no gentle way to say, um, that getting hit by the train, was that? voluntary on his part she said probably but that's one of the questions i wanted to ask i said yep he put himself there Mm -hmm. and then when i was connected with him he was like well all right Uh, i went to school in the i went to school and i went to college and people were experimenting with better living through chemistry and he was in a mental state that i recognized i had visited before but didn't expect to bump into there so my next question was was there any chance he was like on, well, acid when he died? She said, yeah, probably. It looked like that what he'd taken. Okay, great. Now I know how to deal with this. So interesting parts of the story is that he had taken his same state of consciousness across with him, even though he didn't have a body that had LSD in it anymore. Uh He was still in that mental state. So the first thing I had to do was sort of talk him down. Uh, And then... um, as has happened a number of times when I've gone to talk to people who are in a state of distress and attachment to life when they cross over, we had to kind of like walk him through the fact that he wasn't in his lifetime anymore, that he had passed away. Mm 
Uh, and then everything got really cogent, and, and his mom could distinctly feel that I was indeed radiating his frequency. I could distinctly feel that I was really, you know, I was dialed in and this was accurate. And there were a number of things in the conversation that were exchanged that validated the accuracy. Uh, with one of the interesting part being that she said, well, can you ask him, we can't find his wallet. We've looked everywhere. We can't find his wallet. Where's his wallet? Uh, and he said to me, all inside my head, I do not go into a... Some people do a mediumship in a trance state where literally the person who's crossed over gets to take over their body and speak for them. Uh, right. I think that, as I remember, Whoopi Goldberg did that form of mediumship in the movie Ghost. Right, um, right. And instead, I stay me in my altered state, as we described earlier. It's just that, you know, one of my clients has a body and one of my clients doesn't have a body, but I connect with them the same way. Right. And I go find them the same way. I just reach for them and find them. Uh, and so what he said to me in my head was, well, it's about, and I, I don't remember the exact numbers, so let me make up a number here and don't hold me to it. It's about 60 yards down from point of impact, he was pretty. One thing about being passed over is is we lose a lot of the dramatics and the urgency. Right, right. You know, it's it's once we've crossed over, it's sort of like the fact we crossed over is a nuisance, but 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 not a huge and horrible wailing drama. It's just like, oh yeah, well that's not going to work very well anymore. Right, right. But he said it's about sixty yards down from from where the impact was on the right hand side under some bushes. And sure. while I'm saying that to his mom, I'm thinking, yeah, right, Scout, you've seen train tracks before. There's just scrub and bushes everywhere. This is like, you you know, she's just going to think you're making crap up. And and I do have that background in my head sometimes because I have a performance ethic about what I do. She's mm -hmm. just going to think you're making stuff up. And, and it wouldn't still be there anyway because, you know, train tracks, people that are scrounging around, it's gone. But that's not what he said. He said it's about whatever the number was. I'm going to call it 60 yards down on the right-hand side under some bushes. Right. Okay. And we did more, and we finished the reading, and actually one of the pieces we did was I ended up showing him the route to walk him up into the light, significantly different than the TV show, but nonetheless, um, first time I'd done that, and that went well. Later I got to find out that I'd been a little bit overconfident when I tried it again and thought I was brilliant at it and found out there's some interesting stuff, but that's another story. Anyway, um, so we finished the reading. I walked him up into the light. He reached the point that I refer to as those who greet, which is the thing we hear about most, where uh, it's phrased all of our loved ones, but don't limit that picture to the loved ones that you knew while you were alive in this lifetime. It, right. It's literally being greeted and rejoined by all of the entities with whom you share connection. And the lady went away from my table, and I went on and did however many other 15 or 20 readings that I did that day for other people about other topics. Uh-huh. Maybe two weeks later, maybe a week later, if I'd known it was important, I would have written it down. But some not very long amount of time later, but not the next day. Within a couple of weeks, um, okay. I got a phone call asking me to call her. So I did. You know, what's up? She said, well, I wanted you to know that this was the first chance I got. I went down to where it happened. She said, and I, I sort of paced off the kind of distance that he'd said. She said, and I wasn't really expecting to find anything, but I just did it just to find out. She said, and it was the weirdest thing, Scout, because there was bushes and crud all around, and then there was this long space where there was nothing growing. And then right about the distance that he said, you know, whether or not I paced it, whether or not he guessed it right, right about the distance he said there was one clump of bushes on the right-hand side. There was scrub on the other side. There was one clump of bushes on the right-hand side. She said, I bent down, slid my hand under, and grabbed his wallet. 
my God. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which gave me chills. I have no idea what it did in her mind, but it was memorable. I've, I've run into her over the years, and she has never forgotten that moment. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So it was one of those interesting places where, just like I talked earlier, where I got to have a double-blind experiment. I don't know how many levels of blind that would be. But yeah. in the world of, oh, yeah, you just make stuff up and it randomly turns out because the odds are in your favor, I think that one was pretty much the odds were not in my favor. Yeah. <laughs> and yet a complete validation, both that he knew what had happened, that I was connected with him, and that I was translating well. Right. Well, you know, I, I have had similar things happen, and I'm, I think that there is a feeling that when I've done trainings and things with the other people that are trying to develop their gifts, um, there is kind of a feeling that you're making it up because it pops in your head and you, and you don't kind of know where it is, but, but it tends to be if you go with it and, and don't cancel it, like we tend to all do is cancel, cancel, cancel. Nine times out of 10, that's more accurate. It, it, it's correct. You know? So there when people are learning how to do their intuition or listen to their intuition, uh, like you said before, the biggest thing is to get the voice out of your head that says, no, you can't do this. Because <laughs> it's, it's accessible to all of us. I mean, we can, we can all do this if we're able to connect, you know. So uh, that's, that's my experience anyway. I, yeah, I've kind of found that, that um, my path, and of course, well, truthfully, if, if, if you go to a naturopath about a, a problem, they're going to give you a naturopathic solution. If you go to a uh, nutritionist about your problem, they're going to give you a nutrition uh, solution. If you go to an exercise coach, they're going to give you an exercise solution because we all assume that our path is the path. Um, but my particular path definitely has been a path of clearing out the internal static and the internal chatter so that and as a net result side effect of that it has enhanced my ability to grasp or discern or recognize my intuitive input um and so i have met people who busily studied how to develop their psychic stuff and and i find that frequently to be a lot like gee how do i run more electricity through my radio that already has a static issue Right, right. Yeah. So clear out the static, and your radio's got perfectly fine reception already. If it does, now, I am I am a black sheep in the world of psychic community because I hear everybody who is psychic say, "Well, everybody's psychic," but I recognize that every artist friend I've ever had has always said everybody's artistic, and every musician friend I've ever had has always said everybody's musical, and it ain't true. Yeah. Well, there's some of us that have more natural gifts than others. I mean, like you were born with this. I was born with this. And yep. and my radar was high from the very beginning. I mean, you know, I used to sit down and play with my spirit guides when I was two years old. And my mom nice. would bring me like five pairs of scissors and there was me sitting there in a circle and my spirit guides. And, you know, so she she went along with it. And I was, I was lucky I didn't have anyone cancel it out. You know, like I have friends who who are intuitive that have had their parents beat them, you know, beat them up because they were saying things that nobody wanted to hear. Yeah, I quickly learned not to talk about what I knew about people that people didn't want to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without even realizing that it was a psychic-y thing, because, again, you know, like I said, gee, now nobody, there's no other way I could have known that. 
even early on, I kind of assumed that I sort of knew this stuff about people from things I'd noticed in my first five senses. I didn't make any six-sense assumptions. But, yeah, I quickly learned to not say the things that I felt from people because I, I, I grew up clairsentient is the word. Um, there's clairvoyant, which means that you get your psychic stuff visually voyant. Clairaudient, you get your psychic stuff auditorily audient. Yeah. I grew up clairsentient, which means I get, get my psychic stuff, my primary, and I do all of them, um, is that I sense and feel stuff. And then there's also right. got to be some fancy word for clairsmellient and clairtastient because <laughs> I've had those experiences. I just don't know what the words are. Probably something like clairgustient and clairolfactant. Yeah, but, yeah like you can say that. Yeah, that's that's the right word, yeah, for tasting, because people do get it. So my sense is that all of the all of our clairvoyance is actually an extension of our current senses. It's not a sixth sense. It's actually a sense beyond uh, a sense that moves from our senses into uh, a finer stream of energy that we can then perceive. Um, so. So the sixth sense for me is actually just the extension of our own senses, our sight, our hearing, our taste. Yeah, I, I would certainly agree with that because that seems to be how it filters in my brain. But but I'm very aware that I see things that I don't see with my physical eyes, and I hear things that I don't hear with my physical ears, and I certainly sense things that I'm not touching. Right. Right, right, and that right. that's the only six sensing that I think of it as is first five is the physical input and sixth is it still filters through the same kind of an input but um doesn't have anything to do with the organs. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Which, you know, sort of officially labels me either intuitive or crazy. You can go either way with that one. <laughs> well, I I am all for though acknowledging that we do all have some kind of insight, and that the, the major thing, I mean, there are people like totally mathematical and engineering brain, and they don't have intuition, but I would say that everybody has some form of intuition, because um, we both have, we have a right and a left brain, and and what we're talking about is left brain activity here, so that's my that's my take on it, but mm -hmm. I don't know, what's your take on that? So. Um, I have read for people who have no intuitive, they're not my client. They would have been associated with my client. They would never show up in front of me. Um, but I have read us people that associated with my client that, that um, in the same way that one could be visually able but colorblind, uh -huh. or one could actually be born blind. Right, right. Uh, in the same way that I know people who could hear a song once and they could play it and write it down as music, and I know other people that could, well, I have a dear friend and her daughter made it a project and for an entire summer tried to teach her how to sing one commercial jingle, and she's so tone deaf that even though she loves music, she could not reproduce one commercial jingle song. Uh -huh. so, so she's not deaf, but she's tone deaf. Right. Um, and so when I wander around the world, I have read for people that the people that someone associated to them had no input on the intuitive frequencies whatsoever. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. And so that's just that. My view is that that it's just like every other knack. Uh -huh. Some of us have a lot of it. Some of us have some of it. Some of us could learn to mechanically navigate within it. And, you know, if, if you took a thousand kids and chained them to a piano bench for three hours a day, 
with coaching. Some of them, after a number of years, would play piano beautifully and musically. Some of them would play piano very mechanically, and some of them would have just carved their initials into the piano bench. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to say it. <laughs> they wouldn't have felt any association or connection to the music, and that doesn't make anybody better or worser. It's just all circumstantial. Right, right, right. right. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, But there well, are numerous yeah. ways that that intuitive aspect of us shows up. Uh, there was a man that I used to delight in taking my car to because he just flat out knew what needed to be fixed, what could be fixed now and would be more expensive if you waited, and what you could just live with if you could live with it because it wasn't going to be dangerous, and that's how he and I would work on my car because I didn't yeah. have a lot of money. Yeah. And he yeah. just knew. He would go for a ride with me in the car, and the conversation would be, how long has it been doing that? And my side would be doing what? And he'd say, <laughs> that? Oh, that? Um, that seems really familiar. So it's been doing that for a while. And he'd sort of, because <sighs> he couldn't imagine how somebody could be so unattuned to a car and obviously disconnected as I was. Well, I couldn't understand how somebody could be so unattuned to the human being and so disconnected as he was. And yet, man, <laughs> if you'll work on my car, buddy, that's fabulous. Yeah, right, 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 right. So right. it does manifest with lots of different ways depending upon what our particular knacks and talents are. Yeah, yeah. I happen to be yeah. pretty mouthy, so I end up manifesting my intuition out loud a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating how it comes through different spigots for different people. <laughs> mm-hmm. I find it really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I don't know about your process, but because I am so clear sentient, Uh empathic is a common word that would be associated. They're not the same word. Um, When I work with clients, Robin, I actually blend with them Ah. and I'm in state with them so that uh, and not for the whole time. I can't hold it. It's glimpses. But when I'm in those glimpses of being blended with them, I'm actually seeing and experiencing the world the way they see and experience it, combined with how I see and experience it, combined with the however many thousands of other consciousnesses I've been blended with. Um, And so in a lot of cases, it's really short and direct for me to work with things that are going on in the client specifically because I can see how they're seeing it and I can, and and having seen it from a number of other perspectives I can spot ah here's the dark spot here's the blind spot here's the limitation if we right. move this blind spot out of the way then your whole function will function differently uh-huh. but uh-huh. I've wandered astray we were going to talk about the experience of being dead <laughs> well, we'll just have to come back and do that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I'm going to take a break here. We're going to take a little break uh, for our audience, and we'll be right back. I'm talking to Scout Bartlett, and he is a clairvoyant um, mystic medium, and he uh, offers sessions to clients, and we're on Evolve, and we'll be right back. Evolve, nurturing the new in consciousness, the arts, and culture, with your host, Robin White Turtle Lisney. Evolve brings you people and ideas on the cutting edge of change, opening the shells of the past to move our culture into the now. We are all in great need of sustainable ideas for change. Evolve brings you the wise, the foolish, and the heart-based to help us meet the challenges of our times. Join us the third Thursday of the month at 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Evolve. 
Hi, this is Robin White Turtle Listening. The show is Evolve. And I'm with Scout Bartlett, who is also a medium and a mystic. And he does a tremendous amount of work with people through his life insights, which give deep uh, understandings, release stuck energy, and help remove spiritual blockages and early life trauma. So he does uh, a lot of transformational work in his sessions. So welcome back, Scout. Great. Thanks, Robin. I appreciate it. Yeah. And as a side comment, assuming that you give me permission, um, I will post a copy of the recording of this interview up into my website, which is yeah. ifidknownthen.com, and people can access it there under radio and archives uh, at some point in time when I can get a copy after it's aired. Absolutely. I will definitely do that for you. And um, also for your audience, because I think it's a it's a real gift to have a conversation about mediumship and and how we move with those that are alive and those that are dead. And you did talk about it a little bit in the beginning of the last segment where you talked about having a client in a body and one that's out of a body, which is, you know, of course, those that are dead. Um, so tell me a little bit about your experience of uh, people that have crossed over and what kind of some of the typical confusions you find with them because um, a lot of times when people are in between worlds they don't really understand that they're dead and they're still living out the pain and suffering they had in the last life like like the client you talked about that had a uh, been taking LSD when he died and then he was still on that trip yep. so yeah so can you talk a little bit more about that because I think that's pretty fascinating to people yeah it's 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 definitely different than the uh sixth sense movie where where dead people were puking and looking awful um but uh, as a point of reference i i highly recommend although i think it may be out of print but you can still find used copies the book there is no death by betty bethards uh i think she does a really nice job of sort of like giving a quick short easy down-to-earth description the the interesting parts i see is first off um I'm going to really upset some people. I cannot and have not yet detected a an energetic space beyond life that could be labeled as hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have had an experience so far, and, and it's not like I've done you know thousands and thousands of hours of this, but I have had an experience so far of encountering what was a very demonic and hellish experience that came in the shape of a demon attacking me. Um, But once I saw through that experience, it Uh dissolved and I recognized it as having been my own fears. Right, 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 right. There's a guy named Robert Monroe back a number of years wrote a number of books about astral travel and and in his early books he wrote a lot about avoiding the demons and the evilness and the da 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 da, da. and then um I I have to admit that that sort of like weirded me out because I he seemed he was known as an expert and yet he seemed confused here. Uh and so I was really relieved when in his later book he said, "Oh, later I figured out that I was mistaken in my earlier books and that really is our own fears." Right, right. I, I mean, I think that the the process uh, with me and, and my peeps, <laughs> the people that come to me, is really about moving from from their fear base to their love base, to helping them get to 
realize that if they're living out of love and not living out of their fears, that they have they have a lot less stressful life. It's much easier. And that the fears attract all sorts of negative energies that we don't really need. Yep. Uh, we don't need to engage. <laughs> yep. 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 And that's way more poetically than how I language it. So thank you. That was lovely. Uh, well, I, I, just, I view I, us as – go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I just feel like uh, what I experience with those that die a lot of times is that they first have to kind of understand that they've crossed over. Yep. And they can stay in that limbo state, that kind of unrecognized state of death. I mean, they can stay there for for many, many years um, in earth time. I mean, I've, I've run into people from the, who committed suicide or died in the 20s and 30s, and they're still living in the pain and suffering they had in the 20s and 30s. Yep. Uh, and, until they realize they're dead. And yep. then once they realize that, then they can cross over. But, you know, if they're really suffering in their death, they're going to stay in that suffering until they figure out that they're dead. <laughs> and and yep. sometimes they need intervention. I mean, they just need intervention, like mediums well, which or... Which I guess they are helped by. Uh-huh. Only because I've had clients be freaked out and go, well, what if I die and nobody comes and helps me? You'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. You will. Well, you figure it out. Well, and that I think that's one thing that some spiritual understanding gives people is that we all have guardian angels. We all have spirits that are there to help us. So, to me, prayer helps a lot. <laughs> Big time. You know, just praying people over. I mean, that's one good thing about various churches is they do hold services to pray for the people that have passed and I think that's a very good thing to do because they need the help sometimes. Yeah, I picture it as, as lighting lighting big lights in the woods. Yeah, right. Good idea. Oh that's nice. I like that idea. <laughs> when when people are focused on someone who's crossed over and they're focused there with a state of a higher elevated perspective, prayer, and with their heart open, prayer. Um, they sort of become little beacons and lights. Right, right, right. It's so true, yeah. I, I had the uh, rare privilege of getting to walk across into the light with my first and so far only wife when she crossed over. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Uh, and uh, uh, along the way, well, let me back up a bit. Uh, I described a moment earlier that um, that I grew up clairsentient. Now, one mm-hmm. of the pieces that people sometimes recognize about the concept of being clairsentient is that that meant that if if I'd just been the pizza delivery boy and all my job was was to walk in, set down the pizzas, get the guy to sign for it, and leave, but if the room was full of, like, say, a board meeting where they were having a big angry fight, even though they'd taken a break from the fight because they knew the food was coming up, if I just walked into the room full of these stressed, angry people and had them sign a receipt and walked out again, I am now stressed mm-hmm. because I would have matched to it. Now, I hear the phrase often of picked it up, and that's not accurate. I would have matched to the energy state around me. So mm-hmm. if you all can picture matching to the energy state around you when you're in grade school, um, school was quite the ride. Because, yeah. of course, I didn't know I was doing that, and now I would probably get diagnosed as something and maybe even medicated so that I wouldn't do that, um, which everybody can make their own choices about the preferableness of that. But 
I tended to match everybody around me. So if I was walking down the street, I would end up matching energy with the people around me that were holding their energy consistently, whether they were happy or angry or whatever. Right, right. That's I just <laughs> And so one of the most beautiful things I learned along the way was the ability to choose my own energy state rather than match to everybody else's. Right. Now, I know there's lots of languages if we could pick up or get somebody else's negativity, and I don't end up seeing it that way. One of my quirky knacks is I see energy patterns. And I don't end up seeing it that way any more than to say that if I was in an elevator and they were playing the 101 strings version of the Rolling Stones, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, as if somehow when I left the elevator, if that song was running through my mind, as if somehow the elevator had stuck its song in my head and now I had taken it from the elevator and now I had it. No, it just meant that I started humming along my own version of that song, probably not the same as 101 Strings. And if anybody's ever been to karaoke night, you know it was also not the same as what the Rolling Stones did. It put <laughs> my own version of, of that song right. uh, because I matched to it, not because it gave me some kind of energy cooties, but because I matched to it. Right. And those of us that are clairsentient or empathic, um, the natural state of us is to match to the energy around us rather than taking the choice to be our own energy field and let that shine out through everyone around us. So that was a huge breakthrough in my life when I, uh, when guidance showed me a thing that we now refer to as a live beam meditation, uh, which is short version beam of energy from the center of the earth up through us, up and into source, fountaining in source. As you speed it up, it creates a glow and allows your own energy field to be your energy field glowing out through you and through everyone and everything around you so that they can choose to match to you or not, but you end up being your energy field. So yeah. one piece that I always point out to people that have decided I want to do massage work, mm -hmm. I want to do energy work with people, I want to be uh, even a naturopath and be sensing people, or even the people I've met that were getting their, their licenses as, osteop as doctors of osteopathy, um, any of that, you know, even Reiki people, I've got Reiki master teachers that use this meditation as their, that structure as their foundation under their Reiki and right. Jiu-Jitsu and so forth, um, is that the first piece you want to do is make sure you can find you so that you know what's you and what's your client. Right, right. And so that when you're done with your client, your client takes your client with them and you only take you with you, not yeah. matching and humming their song any longer. You let them go and release them and move on, whether you're wanting to be uh, an intuitive practitioner or whether you're just having to sit in an open form office all day. Right, right. So how do you do that? Because that what we're talking about here are boundaries, like how, how those boundaries are really established and, and then um, expanded and then released. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have a favorite quote from a, a guy that I studied with a little bit, a man named Leonard Orr. And one of Leonard's comments that just touched my heart was he made the comment of he says, uh, I choose to believe in an ongoing life after death. Uh -huh. And I choose that for two reasons. One, it improves the quality of my life now. And if I'm accurate about it, when I pass over, I'll be moving in the right directions. Right. And two, if it turns out I'm wrong and there is no life after death, well, I'll never know I was wrong anyway. Right, right, right. So interestingly enough, the overlap between conscious boundaries as I'm living and moving forward when I cross over, they fall in the same category. Right. 
My particular practice is the live beam practice, L-I-V-E, live beam practice. And, and I actually, I, I have another show I appear on regularly. So if people go in the website, not walking on any toes, uh, if they go in the website, I teach this meditation on that show. So it's in the website, Radio Archives. The show is the same as my business name, Life Insights, except live. Uh, and we teach it at the half hour point in those shows. So download any one of those and play it. Yeah. Um, shows are free. You have to register for the site. We don't steal your information. Um, but the short version of it is simply this, that what I do in my practice is I imagine reaching down to the center of this planet Earth, stirring that warm, rich, dense energy there, curling that imaginary hand into a cup, and using that cupped hand to pull a streamer of energy right up through the Earth, straight up beneath you. It's just energy passing through energy, the same way that two different radio stations on two different frequencies pass through each other. Right. So I pull that energy right up from the center of the Earth, right up through the Earth, into my body, right at my tailbone. That's where your, your number one first chakra energy center is, right there down by all of your reproductive organs, so people tend to block their energy there. But I pull it right into that first chakra. I let myself feel that warmth connected from the center of the earth right up there into that energy center at my tailbone. And then I stretch that beam of earth energy on up through my body, deep inside my body, just in front of my spine. I stretch it right on up through my abdomen, through my chest, through my neck, through my head, out the top of my head, up and into source. Now I'm kind of simple. My God looks like a big energy cloud. So I take that stream of earth energy right up through me, up and into that big energy cloud above me, and I let it be like a geyser, like those old movies when they would strike oil, so that I am uplifting, transmuting physical level energy from the center of the earth right up through me, up and into source. For people who are very sensitive, you will notice that once you've laid in that beam of earth density energy, that higher frequency source level energy will conduct right down that beam the same way electricity conducts through a wire, well, similarly to how electricity conducts through a wire, that source level higher frequency will conduct right down that beam through you and into earth. So there is an exchange, but your job is the the up part. Once I've got the beam established, when I speed up, increase, make it richer, denser, faster, it seems like faster to me, the energy up that beam, uh, most people will feel a pressure inside themselves. And the key Mm -hmm. at that point is to let go of that pressure because creating that beam up through us creates a glow inside of us that glows out through us and out through everything around us. Everything, person, Mm -hmm. being, dog, puppy, baby duck, rock, has its own energy frequency. We can allow our frequency to pass right through everything around us. When I started that practice, all of a sudden I noticed that I could let me be energetically as big in a crowd of people as I was able to be when I'd hiked out into the middle of the woods and there was nobody around. It was such a relief to go, oh my God, I don't have to contain and squash and smunch my energy frequency to avoid the other people. I can let my frequency pass through all of these other things around me and just let them be their own frequency on their own, well, be their own energy on their own frequency while I can have my full energy field radiating from the center of me. Because if I'll let my energy pass through them, I can let whatever chitch they've got going on pass right on through me without me having to be a big psycho-emotional energetic catcher's mitt radar dish (laughs) picking up on all of it to make sure everybody's okay. And and, and Robin, I'm sure you're going to recognize this one because the first symptom I noticed was when I'm standing in line at the grocery store, once I did this practice, and this was a number of years back, but when I'm standing in line at the grocery store, the person behind me no longer was telling me their whole life story and their biggest worries. Right. Because they weren't hooking into me and trying to suck me dry anymore because they were 
already inside my energy field so they didn't have to pull on anything. And instead of them trying to dump their life story, they found themselves just feeling, well, as long as I wasn't in a grumpy mood, they found themselves just sort of feeling uplifted to be in that space. Not because I'm some hero guru. I'm not. But just because they were in a smooth and even energy space. And I'm pretty conscientious about how I carry my energy. Long answer to your question. But the loop around is... When we're alive, the more we practice interrupting the thought chains in our mind and bringing ourselves back to the focuses we would choose, the more uplifted our life is. But when we cross over, the more we've practiced interrupting our thought chains so that we're not stuck in some attached worry attached to the earth plane, the more we've practiced interrupting those thought chains, the sooner we interrupt the thought chain after we cross over to recognize where we are and what our options are there that were different than here. Right, 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 right. That was a very short question. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I was fascinated to hear that you walked your wife over to the other side. That I want to kind of go back to that story a little bit because that was amazing. Um, so, and you were able to come back <laughs> into yeah. your body. Well, I was not happy about that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I would have, I have a traded places if somebody had to go, or b gone with her if I could have. So I I, I can attest to the fact. That that much as I tried to will myself into crossing over, it was not my time, and I got to stay. Yeah, right, right. I had a, a similar experience with my father, where when he passed, I watched him lift out of his body, look around, and then he came behind me. I was sitting at his feet, and while he was laying in his bed, and came behind me, always the scientist, and observed himself. Stop breathing, nice. and then once his body stopped breathing, he he went back to the head, and he looked around. He said, "I'm done," and then he walked up a hill, like a hill, and he joined my mother and my sister. And I was, uh, and then of course, then he stopped breathing completely, and you know I knew he had crossed, but the experience of him coming over my shoulder and watching himself die was so fascinating to me (laughs) and I was like dad you know you just don't quit being a scientist you're just studying yourself now as you're leaving you know it's so interesting so uh and yet you know of course there was a lot of grief with it but also the, the the fascination of the fact that there is this world and there is the other but they're really one world I mean, to me, they're one world. Is that, are yeah. they one world to you? <laughs> um, I, we're still us, no matter where our consciousness is placed. Exactly. That's a great way to say it. Yeah. And so when our consciousness is associated to a meat puppet, um, it brings our awareness into the, the physical five-sense reality of the meat puppet. Sorry, that's not the most elegant term. Uh, <laughs> and then when our consciousness has released the meat puppet because it's finished its run. Um, We're still us, but we're us with access to a whole lot more of us than we have when we're, when we're being hemmed in by a brain and a thought process. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I did have the experience with um, two women, another psychic fair 
I don't advertise typically that I do this part, but people find me anyway. And these two women came and sat down, and it turned out they were mother and daughter, and what they wanted to do was check in to make sure that Dad, who had crossed over, was doing okay. Uh-huh. And so I got his name and went to tune in, and I found him. And when I found him, he was he was in a minor snit. Well, no, he was outraged. And uh-huh. I found him, and he, he noticed that I could see him, and he wasn't registering any of the rest of it, but he noticed I could see him. And, and you know, I said, what's up? <laughs> or something along those lines. Uh-huh. Uh, and and he's, they're not listening. They're just not listening. I'm telling them, and they're not listening. And he was angry because, in his view, his wife and his daughter weren't listening. He was talking, and they weren't listening. Right. Which put me in a sort of an awkward place. I, I don't know if you found a comfortable way to do this yet, but I'm apparently – I went to engineering school, and when one, any of y'all that have ever have been friends with or, or dated an engineer, you know that for engineers, the shortest distance between two concepts is a blunt statement. <laughs> and that yeah, engineering okay. training, yeah, yeah, okay, you can recognize it. And that engineering training does not go away. It's a one-day-at-a-time recovery thing for me. <laughs> but uh, But there I am with him, and they're not listening, and I know why they can't hear him, but I can't figure out how to tell him. So I, I I I didn't have any better way to say it other than well the reason they can't hear you is because you're you're dead. And I watched his face, and again this is all you could people could describe it as telepathic because it's inside my head. I don't see him with my physical eyes. Some do, I don't. I'm kind of happy about that. Um, but I watched his face in that scenario where we were, and I watched him ponder that, and then he he saw the angle and the flaw in my logic. Uh-huh. You could watch him get joyed with that, and he looked right at me and he said, "Well, then, how come you can hear me?" <laughs> to which I said, "Because I'm psychic." To which he said, "Oh crap! I don't believe in that crap." <laughs> and he said it so forcefully that he popped me back out, and he popped me back out of state, and he popped me right back into my body. He pushed away so hard, and my eyes snapped open, and before I could get any filters, I looked at the two of them, and I said, he says I don't believe in that crap. And they both looked at each other, burst out laughing, and they said, you got him. <laughs> so I had yeah. to go back in. In his case, I went back in and found him again, and I had to do like take him around. I took him to the psychic fair. I showed him the sign that said psychic fair. I brought him in the room. I showed him the sign behind me that said I was psychic. I showed him me, and then I brought him to my side of the table, and I showed him his wife and his daughter and gave him a moment to get over the fact that they were throwing away their money on some charlatan and then to figure out that that logic didn't quite hold given that he and I were hanging out together. Um, <laughs> And then I had to take him back in his memory to take him to his memorial, which I, of course, had not attended, but but he had. I took him back in his memory to his memorial, and then it sort of sank in. He could relax into the fact that, that he didn't have to keep the tight grip on the things he had been worried and anxious about and the things that he'd been trying to control, and that he had to let you know daughter and wife figure it out on their own now. And that was what had been holding him in place, was that attachment to how tightly he was gripped on needing to be in control and focused on the things going on in the world and so forth. And that is what hangs us up, is our right. attachments. And right. and by the time we got done, he was pretty comfortable with the fact that, well, there were 30 people in that room, and perhaps one of them, me, was not a fake. Right. <laughs> but, right. but you know, they had made their communications, and, and, and everybody was set and fine. But it, it, it's kind of funny, because you could think of um, being crossed over as like the ultimate of being ungrounded 
Right. I mean, right. it sounds funny to say it that way, but it's really true. I find when I'm working with people that have crossed over that that their groundedness is very limited, and so their thoughts bounce all over. So some of the challenges is keeping them focused so that I can actually get information to them or from them in some cases. And in other cases, it's easier. Right, right, right. But it's not like we go to heaven or hell. We right. are where our thoughts put us after right. we cross over. That's so the so more true. one has, I'm sorry, Robin. No, no, that's so true. Uh, yeah, I'm just agreeing with you. Thanks. And so the more one has practiced in their awake life, in their body life, interrupting their thoughts when they're in a grump and coming back to their center, even if it's just a walking meditation of just noticing every time you're going and interrupting that and coming back to a moment and a focus when you felt good, you can do a deeper meditation with it. But even if it's just that, the more you've practiced interrupting those thought chains rather than letting the random thought chains of your subconscious run your world, the more clearly you transition and the more clarity you have after you cross over. Right, and and I think that what I experience is if people have an idea that there is something for them on the other side, angels, guides, a, a beautiful place that they can go, they actually go there. If there yeah. isn't that idea, then they kind of wander around until somebody interferes or helps them or prays for them or comes to them like one of us. Well, so, just, like, just like any other bad mood, eventually we pop out of it. It's just yeah. that when we've crossed over, we don't have the accidental event of rainbows or bird songs or little children laughing to help us yeah. pop. We have to do it on our own. And our guides and the people that love us will be reaching to us. Mm-hmm. challenge being is to reach us. They have to match frequency with us. And to match frequency with us, they've taken themselves into the same state where we're stuck. Right, 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 right. So it's right. a little tricky. Not impossible, not undoable, because, you know, the formation of the entire universe was not stupid. Um, (laughs) But we can certainly help how we move forward if we've built our practice to notice our own mental state and interrupt ourselves periodically in our own internal rants. Oh, I so so agree with you. And and I think that it, 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 it may help somebody out there to understand that you know, it, it matters how you use your mind. And, and you know, as you think, so shall you reap. I mean, what your thoughts do create your reality. And and that's just my experience. It sounds like a GS too. <laughs> and, and there's a piece I always like to toss in on that comment, though, is I've met, I've had clients that, that are worried, you know, I, I do some medical intuitive work, and they'll come to me to tell me about a body issue, and then they'll say, well, I can't tell you about my body issue, because if I say it, then it'll be real. Um, so I like to point out to people that our thoughts do shape our lives, but it's more the flow of our subconscious repetitive thoughts that shape our lives much more powerfully than the random thought we have across the front of our brain for two seconds. Right, exactly. Because quite totally. frankly, if that random thought across the front of our brain shaped our lives, then, you know, I'd be winning the lotto six times a week. Because <laughs> that would be really convenient in my life. Yeah, I'd like that too. <laughs> well, Scott, it's been just so pleasurable to talk with you. And um, uh, I have been talking to Scout Bartlett, who is a clairvoyant and mystic, and he does all kinds of transformational work in his sessions. You can uh, find him at lifeinsights.net, right? Ooh, 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 ooh. Let me actually, that's our old website. The new website oh. is 
sorry, it is where my email is, scout at lifeinsights.net. But the website is actually if I'd known then dot com. Or just because I know people's minds get stuck, I'll give you the secret shortcut, which is just notscott.com. <laughs> we'll take you right into my website. Yeah, that's great. Okay. And you're going to be doing a presentation the 1st of February sometime? First, the very uh, first Thursday in February. And if they can't catch that one, we've actually um, – East West Bookshop in downtown Mountain View, California, has agreed to host my – mystery school workshops the first Thursday evening of every month. We're going to do a 12-cycle series of mystery school teachings. Real life from a mystical perspective is all it is. Um, It just makes stuff fall in place. And that's the first Thursday evening of every month. Great. Sounds great. So thank you so much, Scout. And uh, this is Robin White Turtle listening, and the show is Evolve. Thank you, Robin. Thank you.